I'm here with Shane Clark, and we're going to talk about a big issue, especially here in California. It's rent control. So what's up, Shane? Hi, Kenny. How are you doing? Oh, good. Uh, how's uh, how's Sacramento doing? <laughs> well, it's heating up in many ways. That's good, yeah. <laughs> Not only the temperature, but that crazy uh, that housing market. And it's been so big. Uh, I was listening to an audiobook by Gary Vee. And he even spoke about Sacramento and is about a realtor and how it's it's booming out there. So, uh, so Shane, uh, what do you do out there in Sacramento? I'm an apartment broker with TRI Commercial. So basically, I'm like a real estate agent, but I uh, represent buyers and sellers of apartment buildings. Oh, nice. So, and how's the market doing right now in Sacramento? Well, right now, it's a, an extremely tight market, meaning there's not a lot of supply. Mm -hmm. And so that's really driven up prices a lot. And we also have uh, what we call the Bay Area migration from many uh, tenants and just people in general. It's a giant exodus from San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay, and they're uh, seeking more affordable uh, living conditions and a lot of people are coming up to Sacramento but what's affordable uh, relative to San Francisco is still extremely high for Sacramento so that's really driven up rents we've led the nation year-on-year -year rent growth the last couple of years and that's one reason why we now have activists tenant activist groups trying to implement rent control up here in Sacramento mm -hmm. So I guess talk about rent control. What is rent control? So rent control is when the city passes an ordinance to artificially uh, cap what uh, rent growth can be. Uh, traditionally, how it's applied is once a tenant is established in a rental unit, uh, the city dictates how much each uh, yearly rent increase can be. For example, uh, in Sacramento, they filed a petition with the city that would cap rent growth between two to five percent each year. Mm -hmm. And it'd be kind of tied to the consumer price index. So if the consumer price index was three percent next year, uh, the city would allow landlords to increase rents by three percent. But in no case would they allow yearly rent increases of more than 5%. Okay. So in California, uh, is, it, there, is there other cities looking to do rent control besides Sacramento? Yes, uh, Sacramento is right now one of the top cities that uh, tenant activist groups are targeting because it is the capital city. But for example, We've had rent control for years in cities like San Francisco, San Jose, and LA. Mm -hmm. And for example, in San Francisco, this had rent control for over three decades. Wait, wait, so, the, the so San Francisco right now has rent control? It has had rent control since the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And do you know what the median rent for a one-bedroom apartment is in San Francisco? $3,400 per month. 
for a one bedroom. That's the median. That's mm -hmm. not the high. Mm -hmm. And they've had rent control since the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And so you can be asking yourself, how is that possible? <laughs> if they have rent control, right. how can the rent be so high? Well, what rent control, it can only control uh, as long as a tenant is in place. Mm -hmm. So if you, and this is why you can have cases in San Francisco where in the same apartment building, you can have one tenant who's been there for 20, 25 years and they're paying $900 a month. Mm -hmm. And right next door, the neighbor's paying $4,000 a month mm -hmm. in rent. Okay. Because that tenant has never left, the property owner since let's say 1980s, 1990s, whenever, the property owner has only been able to increase rents a couple percentage points each year. Mm -hmm. Whereas as soon as that tenant leaves, that property owner can then raise rent to whatever the current fair market rate is. Mm -hmm. When I say that, that's whatever uh, a ready, willing, and able tenant is willing to pay for that unit. Now, the, the issue with rent control is that it leads to shortages, number one. And the reason it leads to shortages is because when property owners, once you have years of rent control, the property owner's insurance payments, their taxes, their utility costs, uh, the cost make repairs when they have to replace the roof, etc. All those costs keep going up. But if your rents are capped and it's artificially being mandated by the city how much you can increase your rents, mm -hmm. all of a sudden that property owner after several years is no longer able to generate a profit in that uh, uh, investment. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of property owners do, they will take their units off the market. They'll convert those apartment units to condominiums mm. and then they'll sell them individually for sale. Mm. And here's a great little statistic. This is from uh, October 2017 Stanford University study on rent control. In this study, it was looking at San Francisco and they saw that the effects of this 30 plus years of San Francisco rent control led to a citywide rent increase of 7% and it caused 15% of the existing rental units to mm -hmm. be taken off the market. Mm. So, and remember, supply and dem demand. When you right. have lower supply, demand goes up. Right. Well, we but we so, hear though from people that want rent control. Well, it's not simply about the supply. But what would you say to that? Um, it seems like it is about the supply because we have a lot of something, or if you have very few of something, then it's going to go up in cost. It's kind of a natural thing to happen. Um, it, it, it's both supply and demand, like mm -hmm. all economics. Correct. And yeah. of course, when you have shortages. Mm -hmm. It's going to lead to <clears throat> increases. The other problem is we have such a huge demand coming from the Bay Area mm -hmm. with all of these Silicon Valley tech companies. Mm -hmm. 
that have brought in thousands upon thousands of high paying jobs. Mm -hmm. That created uh, asymmetry in the market where these cities for the past 30 plus years, they have not been able to keep up with the influx of new people coming to live and work in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And the main economic driver has been Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So you have this skyrocketing demand and not enough supply. Mm -hmm. Now, we, before we go much further into rent control, let's just first talk about why is there such a shortage? And there's many reasons for this. For example, in the Sacramento area, do you know how much it is for a multifamily developer to... Uh, construct a new apartment building and of course you're going to have the cost for the labor and the materials mm -hmm. to construct the new building but before they even purchase the land just going through all of the entitlements the permits the environmental phase one phase two all of those levels of bureaucratic permits and fees do you know how much these developers are into the project well it's california so it's probably i'm guessing it's a lot but i maybe i mean i'm not sure how much <laughs> would be <laughs> fifty fifty thousand dollars per unit just per unit before then. you even break okay in sacramento just a few years ago in 2013 that was about the median price per unit that apartments were selling for right and now so that's just, just a fee. construct wow that's now, just the fees. <laughs> now, how, how, so it, they have the numbers as far as the fees compared to like, let's say the 70s to 2000s. Um, how high have fees gone up? You know, that's a great question. And I don't, I'd have to look up the exact amount. I can tell mm -hmm. you it's gone up a lot. The exact number, mm -hmm. I'd have to look that up for. But it has gone up substantially. It seems like, so it seems like now, there's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of factors in. So you have, you know, the cost. Uh, put on by the government, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, like we, you shared uh, an opinion page, and, and maybe a little bit of nimbyism going on. Um, you know, not in my backyard as far as building certain projects, and so yeah, those, yes. you have those two things. So what are, what other factors are playing, and also too, I guess the influx of people going into the Bay Area and in, into cities. Uh, what are other factors that play into uh, housing costs and them skyrocketing? One of the number one things in the last few years cost of labor. Mm. Labor costs, it's skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple reasons for this. One of the most obvious reasons is that after two th the 2008 crash, mm -hmm. all of those construction workers, construction just stopped for mm -hmm. several years in the downturn. And many of those tradesmen and tradeswomen, they had to retool. And they ended up getting jobs and other career fields just to survive mm. and now the construction is finally starting to come back into play mm -hmm. many of those they've already moved on with their careers mm -hmm. and they didn't come back to the construction mm. field that's that's part of it the other part is for the past 30 plus years all of for the most part our parents have been telling us you have to go to college right that's like a month Yep. Need to go to school, get your education, get a well-paying job. Well, the problem is we didn't. We have this huge shortage simply because everyone got a college degree, and no one 
start swinging a hammer off. Yeah. Out of high and, and I think early two thousands, we're all we're all told to get a you know go get a tech degree, go learn go learn go learn code. And no one was talking <laughs> about trades. No one, you know, going through high school, junior college, and college, I never heard one time, "Hey, you can go be a plumber. You can be a roofer. You can help build a house and make good money." And everyone, exactly. and, and just because you know the, the dot com stuff, hey, go be, go learn code, go to Silicon Valley. That's that's a little high place. And now we're kind of mm-hmm. reaping the benefits of that. Um, you know, it seems like a lot. I mean, so it seems like a lot of factors that are there that don't involve you know i don't think rent control then would be a solution because it seems like there's a lot of factors it's not you always hear from rent control folks you know and, and again i'm kind of like not in the middle but you know still learning about this but from what i see i don't mm-hmm. think it makes a lot of sense because what for one it just gives government more power to you know control mm-hmm. you know to take the free market out of it and the free market is still like i mean i believe it's a good thing still i mean it's not the perfect solution but compared to a bunch of bureaucrats setting prices versus, you know, hardworking people developing projects. I'd rather go with this, you know, those mm-hmm. business people developing a project, putting their skin on the line to do something. And, and you're absolutely right, Kenny. And two things, with you have to look out for government interference. Mm-hmm. What, here's another reason why we're so short with uh, skilled trades, for example. I have a friend who uh, we both started wiring homes for Habitat for Humanity. He just loved it. He ended up, uh, he is now working as an electrician. But he was shocked to find out that to get his electrical contractor's license, he has to jump through all of these hoops and go through all of this bureaucratic red tape in the state of California to get his electrical contracting license. Mm-hmm. Do you know, and there's pretty much, he looked every way, he cannot find a shortcut. Do you know how long it's gonna take him to get his license? What's that? Five years. That, that's, that's too Five long. Five years. And why, is it, why does it take that long to get a license then? It, because California is the most licensed state in the union, in, in the United States of America. Just to, for these beauty salons, you need to get a license, and that can take you up to two and, years and, just and, to do hair. You know, and that's true because okay. I have a friend that their, their their mom wants to you know give back into being a beautician and get a new license, and it does take a long time. That's what's kind of stopping, and and what what that's doing is actually stopping, and especially in California, you always hear about you know women in business like that's stopping a lot of women from starting a business and being productive mm-hmm. and, and really going out there and producing for the economy, and, and we're just stopping. And uh, I, I just don't see, you know, and again, I think tying it to, you know, us, we're both Catholics and we want to see people, you know, have a good life, have, you know, be able to support themselves, their families, you know, and go up the ranks. And mm-hmm. it, it just does not, you know, we need to f- figure out a better way than, you know, than stifling um, good competition as far as the rental market, uh, uh, you know, housing market. Um, so, so we hear, I guess, some of the negatives of what, how do we produce a state where people are able to afford a home? Mm-hmm. Here, here's the big thing. We need to, we need to streamline development. We need to streamline development by 
increasing labor workforce and removing these barriers to allow people to become an electrical contractor, a drywall contractor, a plumbing contractor. So then we can, again, it's supply and demand. Once we have more people, we resolve this labor shortage and we encourage more people to go through trade schools. Not everybody is meant to go to college. Not everybody is. Not everybody wants to sit through four years of college. There's many people who love to work with their hands. My friend, for example, he said the worst thing, like his parents were well-intentioned, but he goes, he has never been happier in his life than now, working with his hands, wiring houses. And had he started out high school, he would actually be making more money. Electrical contractors are extremely well paid and he would have been happy following his passion and would have, would be helping relieve this housing crisis. The other thing is streamlining, as we said, all of these uh, entitlements and environmental impact studies. I mean, we need to have, we need to protect the environment. Yes, we do. But we can't seek what the California Environmental uh Quality Act. That CEQA it has killed so many development projects. Now, what, what I don't understand is why does an environmental impact study have to be done in every time? Because we already know we have the data what cars produce. We have the data what when you when you put cement or asphalt on certain types of soil. We have all, we have the data for everything. So why do we continually need to redo a study each time there's a development? I, I don't. Why is why does the state well, want us to do that? Again, it's overregulation, and it's also a tool used by both uh, opponents of development and the NIMBYs. Mm -hmm. Those who don't want the development in their backyard, yeah. they'll hire some big shot attorney to then file a lawsuit, whether yeah. it's frivolous or actually legitimate, uh -huh. based on CEQA to either delay or completely kill the project. Mm -hmm. And this also causes prices to skyrocket for the developer and then your rent goes up because of it and what about too because i think uh i think there is a balance too between like just you know suburban sprawl like we see in la like i don't think we want to continue to do that versus you know having proper development how do we how do we balance that you know having good development practices within cities versus you know just uh kind of outward suburban sprawl can we have both i don't I'm a member of the Urban Land Institute, and the two big focuses right now on future urban planning is what we're seeing with urban core development, adaptive reuse, where you take abandoned industrial warehouses and converting them into loft-type projects and residential mixed use and creating that higher density component. However, the vast majority of people still live in suburban areas. Mm -hmm. And look, um, I think Texas is probably the best example, the Woodlands, master plan communities where you have uh, suburban areas with urban amenities mm -hmm. where you are pl uh, planning these entire developments with a, a job center within mm -hmm. this community. Yep. Cut down on mute times, it's better for the environment, less mm -hmm. driving, less fossil yeah. fuel emissions. and it's creating, you can have a little bit higher density than the normal urban sprawl. You have less commuting. Master plan communities, I think, is going to be a big part of the future. 
and something that will really help um, a, a lot of these issues. Yeah, because I think we can have both. Yeah. You know? I think we can have development plus, you know, smart communities. And it seems like a lot of times there's a battle between the developer and people who want to, you know, have smart growth. And I think we can, I think you can marry the two. I don't think they're really uh, opposing to each other. I, I'm all for, you know, and I love seeing what's going on in Sacramento, um, the, you know, the redevelopment of downtown. And, but it's come at a cost. It's coming where a lot of people, you know, blue collar folks now can't afford to live downtown. And it's, it's just right. you know, a place where you can walk to the grocery store, you can walk to the market, things like that. Um, but um, cool. so I guess one more thing too, uh, you know, we've heard kind of more of the negatives about rent control. What would be a, you know, like an argument someone would have for rent control? Here's the thing. Rent control will benefit a tenant at that moment in time. For example, if you're living in Sacramento and you're in an apartment with relatively low rent and they implement rent control, while you're there in that living there, it will benefit you for some time because then you can have more stability. You don't have to worry about the rent possibly going up 10, 20% mm -hmm. next year. And you can plan on staying there for longer. However, I'm going to give you a little case study and this will kind of explain <clears throat> why in the long term San Francisco has $3,500 median one bedroom rent and why rent control is not a good thing overall in the course of time. I, uh, as an apartment broker, I deal with both small investors and I talk with institutional investors as well. And I was talking with uh, one acquisition manager in this big institutional uh, investment firm, and they're currently targeting Portland because Portland has implemented rent control. And what happens is that after a few years of rent control, these Property owners, they're no longer able to keep up on deferred maintenance when the, they need to replace the roof or mm -hmm. some big, like, uh, have to redo the plumbing, electrical systems, big things like that. When their rents are capped, they get to a point where it becomes very distressed. And instead of replacing the roof, they just let it go. Mm -hmm. And these properties fall into disrepair. Mm -hmm. and, they can't, and here's the other problem with rent control. Just cause eviction rules. Just cause is saying, hey, now and it, it has good intentions. They're trying to say, hey, a landlord can't just evict you because they don't like you, right? Or because they, for any given reason. And that seems the argument so, too. I, I think, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the folks for rent control, they're saying it's pretty much the greedy landlords. But I think, again, to go into business, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, scare away your customer. That's just. Mm -hmm. common business practice so I mean I, I think there's there are some greedy people of course but I think a majority of people in business that's not the case yeah it, it, it just depends like you said and for the most part a lot of the smaller owners mm -hmm. they have relationships with their tenants they have long-term tenants with rents far below market rate but what can happen is especially in cities like Sacramento and those urban centers where you do see these large uh, areas of rent growth. A lot of institutional investors will come in and then they'll uh, buy out the smaller owners and then all of a sudden they will do all the updates and increase rents by two, $300 a month. Hmm. And that pushed a lot of good 
tenants out and they truly are just kind of in it for for the money and the profit and so that's where you can get there is some validity to that but mm -hmm. at the same time you know that's their business model and again as a tenant we that is a risk you, you have of, of being a tenant and mm -hmm. but again these are arguments that um, on the rent control side they will make but here's the short-sightedness of it. For example, that uh, per, that friend I have who works for an institutional company, he said what they do, and he says it's it's sad. He, he hates that this happens, but it's it's the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. So with just cause eviction rules, you your leases don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. So once a lease is up after a year. A landlord can't just give a tenant 60 days notice. As long as that tenant keeps paying their low rent control rent mm -hmm. and they don't break the terms of their original lease, the property owner, the landlord cannot get rid of them unless they pay what's known as a tenant relocation benefit. So even this tenant could have been there for five, 10 years. And let's say, uh, this property owner, they can no longer uh, maintain their building. It's falling apart, mm -hmm. but they don't have the money, cash flow to maintain their building and their investment. But there's nothing they can do because the only way to get those tenants out so they can make the improvements to then increase rents to salvage their investment, they would have to pay their tenants a tenant relocation benefit, which can vary from $8,000 all the way up to $40,000 mm. in some Bay Area cities, mm -hmm. okay? So each tenant, you, you could potentially be paying tens of thousands of dollars just so you can get them out, make the improvements, and bring rents up to market rate. Right. So then you can make all the improvements on the building you need. And that's, so I mean, what and that's is, shrinking, shrinking the availability of affordable housing. Yeah, absolutely. So then what these institutional investors do, they will come in and they will target these small mom and pop property owners who have worked their whole life. This is, for the, many of them, this is their retirement, these mm -hmm. department buildings. And now with the, their building falling into disrepair and they're distressed, they're now bleeding money because they cannot keep up with all of their operating costs. Mm -hmm. These institutional buyers can now buy these buildings at a discount. Wow. They buy the building at a discount. Mom and pop apartment owner loses their retirement. Then these institutional investors, they have already worked in their, their pro forma, their financial analysis, mm -hmm. the tenant relocation benefits. They pay the tens of thousands of dollars to each tenant household. And they give, and then they leave. Then the institutional investor makes all the improvements, and then they charge the thirty-five hundred, four thousand dollar a month rents. Mm -hmm. And after that, now they bought it at a low price for mom and pop. They made the improvements, and even with those ten thousand payouts to the tenants, mm -hmm. with all the improvements, now the thirty-five hundred dollar a month rents. It's right. a super valuable property. They can resell it for a profit. Yeah. So at the end of the day, mom and pop investor lose their retirement. The tenants, for a short period of time, those tenants who have the low rent control rent, 
it benefited them and they got a payout. So for those tenants for a period of time, it was a good deal. But now that they're out on the street, they're dealing with these shortages and these increased rents. Now they have to pay $3,500 rents to stay in San Francisco. Wow. So in the long term, it does not help the tenants in the long term. It does not help mom and pop owner. The big institutional investor who played it right, they make money and the government bureaucracy because by the way, this whole time you have rent control, they form powerful rent control boards to regulate all of the landlords. They charge each landlord, like for example, in the city of Richmond, $98 per unit. That's another cost on right. top of these landlords. Why is that? So what, what is that cost going towards? To fund the newly formed rent control board, basically the city bureaucrats right. who are now the board. And reg so, it's regulators. So, so, the, so the fact is, like, if this stuff actually worked and we would see results, you know, you have a you have a good tree, you have good fruits. And so, to be honest, look at the Bay Area, it has pretty bad fruits for the poor. Um, we keep hearing, you know, from these people, you know, these are policies that help the poor, help the middle class. And what we see in the Bay Area is quite the opposite. I mean, those are just the facts. I think we can all agree yes. on that. I mean, I, I don't see, and so I don't see how, you know, I mean, just again, just a layman, you know, very, just still learning about this issue. Like, I'm just looking at what's going on in these, you know, very, you know, it's not a political show, but very progressive cities. Um, the poor people can't afford it. They're not, they're not welcome there. Um, because of the situation. So, so again, mm -hmm. how do we move forward as a state besides, you know, increasing labor? Um, what are other kind? What are actually some temporary solutions we could do, like in Sacramento, so so people can afford, you know, let's say, I, I just rent an apartment in a decent area. Again, I think uh, streamlining streamlining the development process, having a subs more subsidized components to these new developments, mm -hmm. which I think could be more possible mm -hmm. if we did alleviate a lot of the costs on these. And what do you mean subsidized? Like who, who are who are who is subsidizing um, the cost? Subsidize. So what that means is is the, when a developer builds a subsidized affordable rate apartment, mm -hmm. they are able to obtain tax credits and different benefits from the city or whatever local government agency. And it uses basically taxpayer money to then okay. subsidize. So instead of paying market rate, this is how you, if you're making below a, like uh, whatever they consider the poverty right. level. So there, so there is room now for some, some, for some government involvement on a small level. To help in the I main because sure. if it works it works i'm not against government or for government i just want to do things that work and it, it seems like you know like a minor subsidy it might work it, it, it's more of a benefit than let's say you know harm towards private business i mean to me i'd rather if that supports it, it i think that's a, a it, better idea it, yeah it's not that it's not the end all be all because we've had we've had these policies for a long time but again you can only Pour so much taxpayer money right. into this as well. And, 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 I mean, so, I, I think a good example too is uh, in Stockton, especially downtown. I mean, I think um, there has to be, you know, private investors willing to invest in the area. If not, you know, um, mm -hmm. so I think there has to be that both, you know, willingness. I mean, it's not even a willingness. I think it's just a good market where people can go in there. Because from what I've heard, you know, people want to invest in Stockton, but 
is again the bureaucracy kind of gets in the way of that, and that's why people mm -hmm. are not investing there. Um, so, um, but uh, so uh, anything else we can add to that? Uh, you know about the conversation the rent control. Yeah, and one last like we have a developer in Sacramento who really understands this situation, really wants to help, and they're developing the first micro unit project hmm. in downtown Sacramento where you have studio units ranging in size from about 300 square feet to 400 square feet very small units however they're going to be relatively affordable they're trying to keep the rents at or below $1,000 a month and because that's the problem like with most of this new development the only thing that pencils out is the high market rate because otherwise you know those fifty thousand dollars before we even break ground the cost of labor materials everything else at the end of the day the only thing that's profitable to build is the high market rate stuff but maybe a small subsidized component so doing these micro unit type projects where you could create hundreds of more units mm. at a thousand dollars of and again, it's not for everybody. You'd have to really downsize. I think it could work, like especially for younger yeah. kids going to college, and they want to live in an urban area. I think that could really be beneficial to them, and it gives an opportunity maybe to own something or you know, or just have cheaper rent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it uses a lower and, rung of the ladder but, to kind of move up as as they get older. Exactly, and it's sad because in, we don't have time to get into it tonight. But another thing to look out is at the state level, is the Costa-Hawkins Act. And it does many things, but one of the most important things is Costa-Hawkins Act, it prevents local cities who implement rent control from imposing rent control on new construction built after 1995. And it appears that they have just uh, achieved enough signatures to put the repeal of Costa-Hawkins on the 2018 November ballot state level. If that gets repealed, and then for example, Sacramento imposes local rent control, and in theory, they could have the ability to then impose rent control on new development. Right. That developer I just told you about, who's doing the micro unit project yeah. in Sacramento, they publicly stated at the Urban Land Institute meeting that if that happens, they would pull the plug on that wow. project. And they've that's, already gone. That's too bad. And again, this is a project that, and being very innovative and looking to bring in low cost housing. In. Another example of that. And there, I mean, this would really put a freeze. If cities are allowed to put rent control on new development, many of the uh, projects in the development pipeline, they would stop. They would, and that we need that. There's no denying we need more housing. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a big, big topic. We can talk all day about about rent control. Yeah, housing. it affects me too. I mean, because I'm lucky. I live in Orange County, and I'm lucky. I have a live workplace, you know, uh, at my job, and I really don't pay any rent. So I'm really fortunate to where I'm at. But you know, just down the street from me is the big, uh, the big river and near Angel Stadium. And a few months ago, it was lined up with just homeless people there. 
and and yeah it's pretty scary because a lot of people i don't know what the percentages are i mean i probably just one or two paychecks away from going homeless and and it's, it's a, especially in california it's a big topic and especially with homelessness and homelessness on the rise here and again and going back to our, our catholic faith you know it's up to you know um, you know, we want to see people living healthy, successful lives, and especially when they're raising mm. families and things like that. And something, you know, um, and it's not about you know government, no government, left, right, but it's about doing the right thing and what works in this state. And um, I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think these conversations need to be had. What the truth is, and how do we get, you know, and at the end of the day, it's about getting people into homes, whether renting or buying a home. And I think. It'd be better for the whole state if people bought a home, but if not, at least being able to for- afford a clean, safe apartment or house to rent. Um, so, but mm-hmm. I think you know having these conversations will at least lead to that, lead to the truth being out there, and hopefully it gets up to our you know political folks, the business folks, to kind of come together and think of some good solutions, and especially on the local level. I think that's where you'll find your biggest change is folks coming on the local level. And working get on working together on that, and uh, but uh, but. I, did I go ahead? Yeah, I I agree. And here, here's another thing, just to kind of keep in mind and put things in perspective. Um, I, I do not own any real estate in California, but I do invest out of state, and I have an. A six small six-unit apartment building in Springfield, Missouri, and I have an, a 900 square foot one-bedroom apartment that I've remodeled. And you, you know, I, and I have not been able. It's been on the market for 45 days now, and I still have not been able to find a renter because they wow. can still find cheaper rent. Where's this at again? You know what I'm asking for? Springfield, Missouri. Uh huh. How much? Do you know what I'm asking? Four for uh, wow, how much? Five fifty. Oh, geez, that's that's a for a remodeled nine hundred square nine hundred square feet. And you're yeah. gonna see that more people are starting to leave the state, and actually, that's gonna help uh, relieve some of the demand as well. And it's also gonna spur, I think, more politicians into action because they don't want to see more and more people leaving and right. hurting. They want to keep. California is a economically and strong and socially strong, and this housing crisis is really putting—it's putting California in a horrible position. Well, and I, I know and, you mentioned—I think it was you the other day, um, a few weeks ago—about a new uh, Democratic hopeful um, governor. Uh, he was—he was all about nuclear power, not only nuclear power, but bringing housing back to California and having an attitude of abundance. Of, what was his name again? Um, I, actually, I think that was someone else, or you might have been telling me that. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't I mean, remember. And, and it, it's funny because I forgot his name, but because for so long, especially the environmentalists, well, I always have an attitude of, you know, scarcity. But I think uh, what it is is we have to reverse that, have an attitude of abundance, and not, an, and not an attitude of like we can do whatever we want with the land and, and not respect it. But in a sense, respect the land, but at the same time, you know, it's a pretty hardy planet, and I think we can, you know, work with the planet. Uh, it, it still has a lot to give, you know, and I think this even just changing the attitude of just, let's have an abundance and bringing more people here and having a better attitude about just about, you know, quality of life here. And it seems like it's so it's all about scarcity. It's all about doom and gloom, you know, 
whole climate's going to fall apart, mm. uh, which is, you know, we're still here. We're still alive. Um, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. And I think just that attitude change yeah. too, you know, um, I think would help a lot too. Well, we have policies that protect the environment. Well, that don't put people out on the street. Right. We have to keep our problems straight. Yeah. So, but I appreciate it. Again, we can, you know, go on forever. I mean, actually we got on longer than I, I thought we would, but which is, which is great, you know, because it's an important topic, but I appreciate it, Shane. Take care. You bet, Kenny. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me.